The grilling of Gary Gensler, that's what happened in front of Congress this week. Bankless Nation, it is the third Friday of April. Welcome to what, David? Uh, the Bankless Friday Weekly Roll-Up, where we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we persevere nonetheless, no matter which regulator stands in our way, <laughs> here on well, the Friday Bankless week, Weekly Roll-Up. This week, we know who it is. Uh, oh, Gary yeah. Gensler <laughs> became the main character this uh-huh. week, all right? And he's uh-huh. been doing that ever since the beginning of the year. We're going to talk about the Gary Gensler grill sesh mm-hmm. in front of Congress. That happened. We got a bunch of clips. It's really like a Gary versus the people type thing, isn't it, Gary so, v. the people, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you want to get your catharsis on, we got some clips for you. Of yeah, just people, it, people just like yelling at Gary Gensler and Gary Gensler just cath- taking it. <laughs> it is cathartic, but it's also like, it was so frustrating. We'll see what you guys think when we get to that section. David, what else are we talking about today? Ethereum Chapella, one week later, we will look at all the stats and the metrics as to uh, the withdrawals. How many people withdrew their Ether from the Beacon Chain? How many people deposited? Uh, is Ether going, is security going to zero? We're going to talk all about that, uh, as well as some other big announcements and releases of this week. Uh, and Ethereum Layer 2 gets its first, second client. So that's pretty cool. Rocket Pool. Uh, gets the biggest protocol upgrade of any LSD protocol ever in existence. So we'll talk about the details about that. Um, thousands of wallets get their ether drained and no one really knows why, which is concerning. And I have stuck my head in the sand on that one. Uh, yeah. All of this and more. So make sure you like and subscribe. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, go and rate and review so we can get Bankless to the top of the iTunes charts. If you are on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and the like button. And overall... Uh, do things that like, help us like and movement. subscribe. Yeah, bring us up the charts. I mean, crypto needs it right now, right? Mm-hmm. Or do we? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Are we in a bear market? Are we in a bull market? I don't know. We're in this midpoint. We're in this in-between phase. I'm not really sure mm-hmm. what to call that. But we'll talk about that when we get to the markets. All right, let's get to the markets today with charts from our friends over at Kraken, our favorite exchange, the one we recommend for 2023. David, we're looking at the Bitcoin price now. What's it showing us on the week? Uh, it's shown us down, but only a little bit. Actually, a medium amount. Started the week at $33,000, uh, ending the week down 5% at $28,000. Uh, and so kind of top ticked it when we measured it last week. So uh, 33 was like the local high. Uh, we are down now to the low, low price of $28,000. Back down below $30,000. Sad, sad noises. B- below 30K. Above 30K, I'm feeling go- good. I'm feeling good. bullish. Real good. Below 30K, yeah. I'm like, oh, it's the bear zone. And we're oscillating between these, right. these two um, points. It's a little bear zone. It's a cute bear. Little bear zone. Okay. Yeah. I feel the same way with ETH. What are we looking at in the uh-huh. week? Uh, down 1.5% on the week. Started the week at $2,000, ending the week at 1970. Although we had some pretty strong price action, both in Bitcoin and in Ether this week. Ether got all the way up to 1000 or 2150 almost, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, and then, but now couldn't, couldn't keep up the, uh, the above 2000. So we are down 1961, it looks like. So maybe down 2% in the week. What's up with these uh, green candles on the 13th and 14th? Um, is that as a result of kind of staking? Is that what we're seeing? Sorry. Yeah, uh, that was post Chappella. Yeah, that was post Chappella. Okay. like green Yeah, candles. exactly. Yeah, everyone realized that like people, that all the Chappella withdrawal FUD was just super FUD. Yeah. And then people like, oh, I know. I'm, not, I'm not allocated anymore. I should probably buy. Have we retraced that? We have we uh, retraced most the... of it. Yeah, uh, the ratio is yeah. up though, which is where we're going to go to next. Uh, okay. So uh, up four percent on the week. So point zero six nine. Nice. Uh, uh, so four percent gain on the ratio. All right, four percent gain on the ratio, and total crypto market cap. Got to tell you, is one point two seven trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. Trillion with a T. So 
still in the still in the bull zone. Above one trillion dollars is bull zone for me. That's the first time you've ever getting the, given the number. What compelled you to do that this week? That's my job. Just because <laughs> it hasn't really changed. You know, like one point we've been. It's just like look at this. Um, look at this. The last the, dude. The crypto days total so. crypto market cap chart looks yummy. It looked good. Well, it's like a on what term, time scale? Oh, the big ones. Looks yummy. The big, the, the big time the scales. Mar- yeah. The max. Yeah. Zoom out to the max. Well, I mean, just like, it's just been, it's been clearly up and to the right for a while now. Yeah, it really has. Like we're going to start, we're coming in on like, uh, we're starting to zero in. It's a little bit early to say this. We're starting to zero in on 12 months of green, at least for Ether, because Ether bottomed last May. Bitcoin Bitcoin bottomed in November, but Ether is almost at 12 months of green. This is the point at which you're like, um, is this the early market and you, right. you kind of don't know yet you're kind of right. left wondering or is yeah. this just more of kind of the crab and this is mm-hmm. going to persist like what's your best guess for 2022 we or okay, sorry so if 2023 we just, if we just totally extrapolate very rigidly from past bull markets it's it was the 2016 and 2020 years that were the years of up only that mm. no one knew were bull markets in that moment and so like it was a modest increase of like a 2x over a modest of 2x over one year of time. So like 2016, it was like a 2x in prices. 2020, also a 2x in prices. And I remember, Ryan, like in 2020, we were all like, is this over yet? And then COVID happened like, oh, we're, we're, we're still in the depths of it. And like from the Bitcoin and, and Ether asset prices, it was a strong performance of a year, yet no one knew, no one had realized that we were out of the bear market. And so does so, it feel like those times? Does it feel like 2016 uh, or does it feel like 2020 to you right now? Uh, so if we go on the four-year cycles, we are still mm. half a year away from that, which is not far off. And also, I'm not going to pretend that, like, why we rigidly project forward when things are different and change. So, you know what's well, I mean, we is- are within striking distance of that timing-ish you know that argument of why would we rigidly um, project for, but by the way, just finish that thought. So, you know, it could be 2019 rather than 2020 if we were right. rigidly um, right. projecting forward yes. like right now. Right. But I'm also actually, I'm kind of still a fan of rigidly projecting forward, David. It works last time. Remember, <laughs> it freaking works almost every time, not just last time. It worked the time before and it worked the time before that. It seems well, like- Well, no, but the time the, before that, we were, that was the first cycle. I know, but it's just uh, these four-year types of cycles seem about right. And it has nothing, in yeah. my mind, it has nothing to do with the Bitcoin happening. It just has to do with these boom-bust cycles appetite. that we see. It's investor appetite for tokens. Yeah, And I remember people were like, last time in uh, 2021, late 2021, 2022, when the whole super cycle idea sort of took uh-huh. off, it's like, why does it have to be like last time? This time it's different. We have all mm-hmm. of this, we're not going down. We'll never right. see another, you know, above a 50% drop from all-time highs. This is a different asset class. We've hit mainstream. Look at, we have Tom Brady. We have, uh, you know, our names on uh, sports arenas. We're here. We made it, right? And what happened? The same exact pattern played out. That's why I think the rigid projection is like my base case still, even though it is the same. Base case case ought to be the same until proven otherwise, and it has not (laughs) been proven otherwise anywhere. No. All right. Well, let's go on. Let's talk about Ethereum, okay? Because now we are one week, just over a week, past the Chappella upgrade. Mm -hmm. So all, like, ETH withdrawals are in. So tell us about the numbers, David. I want to know 
if, uh, how many people withdrew or how much ETH withdrew, how much ETH deposited and what are we net gain or net loss? And I'm expecting a net loss as we go into mm-hmm. these charts, but tell us the story here. Uh, okay. So I want all the listeners, including you, Ryan, to think of, uh, think of the number. So we'll start with the number of the number of ether that was staked to Ethereum the moment that Chappella happened, which was 19 million and one quarter. So 19, 250,000. That really? was, that, that was how much ether was staked when Chappella went live. How much ether do you think is left in the beacon chain? How much ether we got left? How much ether got withdrawn? How much did we go down by? Yes, how much did we go down by? My guess is. Or up by. We could have gone up. Uh, Up is an option. We definitely went down. Uh, Up is wrong. Up is wrong. (laughs) Okay. I knew that. My base guess would be about half a million ETH down Um, because it didn't. I mean, yeah, I haven't looked. I haven't looked at all of the details here, but, you know, price has been up. My impression is there hasn't been a big flow for the exit exit queue, and so down half a million. How'd that, okay. how'd that fare? You are pretty damn pretty damn close. A little bit shy. Uh, you guessed half a million. We were at like point uh, six point six five million ether got withdrawn. So we were at eighteen million six hundred and forty thousand ether. Uh, there have been two large withdrawal events. Uh, it's been down and to the right with some brief periods of more deposits, um, faster, more uh, faster deposits than withdrawals, but then very large, uh, withdrawers have come and just like nuked it. Right. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. and who are these That's people? These, these blue are, lines on the chart, right? These blue right, candles rather. Exactly. And so these are, uh, the large entities that, that first big, uh, withdrawal is, uh, Kraken. Uh, and then the second big withdrawals on the further right on the April 20th, which was, is that today? Yeah. That is like within the last 24 hours are, um, Coinbase and Binance, large other centralized service providers. We were at 19 and a quarter million ether staked. Now we're at 18 million, 637,000 ether staked. Uh, okay. so, there we go. So the bleed, the bleed is what, like 60, 70 K mm-hmm. ETH per yeah. day. Yes. That. Okay. But there's, a, there's an interesting story here. First, uh, Kraken, one of the biggest withdrawers is legally compelled to withdraw. Thanks to our good friend, Gare Bear. We're, we'll get to him. Um, <laughs> we'll the definitely other, get to him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Coinbase and Binance. Okay. So like, why are the other big centralized exchange, uh, exchanges withdrawing? And so here is a snapshot in the last 24 hours. So this was recorded Thursday. Um, I'm on uh, CEST at 5 p.m., so I'm six hours ahead of Eastern time. Uh, so the, it's it's Binance has withdrawn a 25% of the last e- of the ether withdrawn in the last 24 hours is Binance. 23% is Kraken. 18% is Coinbase, and then we have 10% others. Um, and so, like, why are all the centralized exchanges uh, withdrawing their ether? What's going on? Well, now remember. This is Coinbase's CB ETH and Binance's whatever liquid taking derivative they have as well. And then also Kraken is legally compelled to exchange, uh, to withdraw. What is happening is a reshuffling of people withdrawing their ether, doing the thing we like, Ryan, the bankless thing of withdrawing their ether from centralized exchanges. And uh, also, in addition to like while withdrawers are outpacing depositors, depositor rate prior to Chappella versus now is up bigly as well. And so there's Ether going out of centralized exchanges and then also being redeposited into the beacon oh, chain so, so, so via other mechanisms. The deposit queue is higher than it was previously yeah. to ship The, the as rate well. of deposit is about 3x. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't yeah. know that. So the net yeah. is still down just because the net, net is know, down deposit, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. deposits outweigh right. the, the um, mm-hmm. or sorry, the withdrawals outweigh the deposits, but the deposits right. are still up. So you're calling this a right. reshuffling. Uh, remember when we talked about this event as being sort of a snow globe 
where you mm-hmm. just kind of shake the snow globe and then right. just eat stake deep is going to settle in different locations across these mm-hmm. staking pools or solo stakers. You're saying right. that is a possible explanation of, of what's happening here because we're getting the withdrawals certainly, but we're still getting deposits inbound and it's just settling in a different uh, location, maybe solo staking, maybe, uh, you know, a, a more decentralized staking pool, something like this. I would say it's more definitive than it's a possible explanation. You know, we watched the largest R ETH mint ever happen. And so we'll get to that when we talk about the Rocket Pool um, Atlas upgrade. Uh, very big upgrade. I'm very excited about that. So we know that Rocket Pool has absorbed a decent chunk of Ether. Uh, and then also uh, the supply of solo stakers is also up bigly. Uh, really? So this has this has moved. This news. is like one of the, the this is like one of the coolest upgrades in a while because we are yeah. seeing liquidity leave these large centralized economies of scale exchanges and yep. migrate towards decentralized solo stakers. The whole wait, like wait, wait, de- wait, wait a second. Thanks, Gary. Is it Gary? <laughs> No, Wait. he only because he only forced Kraken out. He didn't do anything oh, about right. Coinbase. And but like, course. I mean, Kraken, Kraken, yeah. I mean, people who had Ether and Kraken are able to go <laughs> do stuff with it, and that could be. I mean, technically, it's yeah. Just, on, the, on that I, particular point, I think it's just point. funny. We'll we'll get to Gary, but like, it's just funny. The tighter he squeezes on you mm-hmm. know centralization, the more it seeps out into decentralization. So we got yeah, him. A, that's, we got him either way. That's the bull case of crypto. That's not that's not just like a, an accidental feature. That is. Yep the feature of crypto is like the yep. harder people grab it, the faster it decentralizes. Yep. But okay. So, so go on. So we're seeing a reshuffling go on here. Um, there's some withdrawal. I, w- where do you think the bottom's going to be in this withdrawal? Like, like for, for instance, um, and by the way, how long are the withdrawal queues, queues at this point? Yeah, it's like so if, if I wanna, want to withdraw, if you want to go back a tab. Yeah. We got the okay. answer to that question. Right and so there are, uh, there is 23,000 validators looking to withdraw, which comes to 750,000 Ether, which is currently in the withdrawal queue. If you 750,000 Ether is Ether, in the withdrawal yes. queue. Yes. Okay. So that, that is to be withdrawn. Now, remember, that is not all principle. There is a both rewards and principle as well. Sure. And so I think but it's, the bulk um, is going to be principle. About probably? 75% is, is uh, I think, um, principle. It okay. versus with rewards in the future that will flip it will be largely with rewards um being withdrawn once this whole like equilibrium once once the snow is finally shuffled it'll it'll flip in terms of uh, rewards will be the main withdrawers and because uh rewards for your validator rewards are automatically withdrawn just FYI, so just fun, fun fact this withdrawal queue is now 17 days right if i so, start withdrawing right now i have to wait 17 right. days until i get it because that, you know, that is correct the, the pipe is, correct. is small and it's all trying to fit through. But like yeah. at the end of this, if we if we have the, you know, 600,000 or whatever that we've withdrawn so mm-hmm. far, plus another, you said 700,000, so 1.5 million ETH supply approximately mm-hmm. once this withdrawal queue drains of right. outbound, like ETH going out and being redistributed, reshuffled, or right. actually not restaked potentially. We'll yes. hit the bottom at some point. Yeah. Uh, and so if we have no large mass exodus from centralized or like centralized service providers or anything like this, it would bottom out maybe at 18 million. Um, maybe there's another wave. I bet you it does not go below 17 million. I feel pretty safe about that, um, especially when the rate of solo staking, I think, is going to continue to be healthy, at least in the short term. So you, you're predicting this doesn't drop any more than another, you know, 1.5, 1.6 million ETH. Down. I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't think we go below. I think it's safe to say we don't go below 17 million staked. We are currently at 18.6. Um, it's very possible that we do not go below 18 million staked, and that would be uh, 
bullish. That'd be very bullish. That's the bullish outcome is if we stay above 18 million. And then bull, cool bullish is to not to say like a price bullish. I'm just saying just like, it's cool to see this. <laughs> it would be cool to see that. Uh, do, do you see some of these charts on the Dune board too yeah. that we have from mm-hmm. Hill Dobby? Shout out Hill Dobby. Um, yeah, are stakers in profits? Right. Uh, you know, you could see how many people below when E, well, what is this showing us? The amount of E. It's showing see, you the price of Ether down. at the time of Ether deposited into the beacon chain. Uh, it's not showing you the price that that Ether was bought at. It was only showing you the price at when the Ether was deposited. And this analysis says about 50% of the stakers right. are in, in, in the money. In the money. Uh, since yeah. they deposited and 50% yeah. are down yeah. uh, from their deposit time, which kind of makes yeah. sense given the timeline of when you could deposit. It was mostly mm-hmm. depositing during the bull run, right? And then right. partially uh, during the Well, we had, there was a healthy amount of deposits at the very beginning of the Beacon Chain, which was launched in December of 2020 when the price was $700. Yeah, that's incredible. That, that was a while ago mm-hmm. now. Well, very good. So yeah. what are the takeaways from this, David? It's, you know, Ethereum's not dead. Obviously, there was not a yeah. run on Ethereum. This is kind of to mm-hmm. be expected. We'll see a bottom point pretty soon. Justin Drake had said said after we we get the bottom on, you know, the amount of uh, ETH staked uh, withdrawn, then we'll probably start to incrementally rise once again. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing early signs of that. How much money, and by the way, how much money, it can't, like what is the reward rate? What is the interest rate? When you deposit ETH right now. Um, oh, the ETH stake rate? That is a yeah, ETH solid rate. 6.7%. Because not wow. only are people uh, leaving, which jumps, which increases the ETH stake rate, gas fees have been up lately. Uh, and so you are getting um, just under 4%. You're getting 3.8% in terms of issuance for staking, uh, protocol issuance. And you're also getting another uh, 2.9% for execution layer rewards, which is like MEV and transaction fees. See, this is attractive. Like 6.7%. 6.7% is big, bro. Yeah. That, that, that's, that, more than, that's, that's more than treasuries. I mean, that's why we're going <laughs> to, I think, start to see ETH uh, flood back in is right. because this is a very yummy uh you know, APY to make 6.7% is going to attract more ETH as capital. Where else are you going to park your ETH? Uh, you just the, said yummy. The risk-free, nice. I said, I said yummy. Yeah. The risk-free, <laughs> do you say dummy or yummy? Yummy. Well, I said it oh, yeah. in the episode and now you said it. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> yummy. It is a yummy interest rate. And so like, because uh, this is the risk-free rate for Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Right. right. I mean, how long ago, David, did we write those first posts? 2019, 2020, when we talked about Ethereum the internet, bond. internet bond. Yeah, the risk-free rate of the internet. It's finally is. true. Finally true. Got, you gotta love it when a plan comes together. And ETH denominated returns as well, I don't think, right? This I is don't not think dollar we'll, denominated. I'm sad to say, Ryan, I don't think you and I will ever make a more a better prediction. A better prediction in our lives ever than that. Yo, we peaked in 2020, guys. <laughs> that was it. It's all, it's all marginal improvement mm-hmm. from here, if any. Ryan, if you like yummy interest rates, uh, yeah, would you like a strategy to increase that interest rate from 6.7% to, uh, I got, let me go down to my notes here. Oh, to are you an starting even, a, uh, an even yummier, yeah. uh, 9.7%. Are you starting right? a, a Celsius V2? Are no. you starting a, a, a centralized I'm, I'm talking lending? about a way to increase your yield in a I do non-custodial decentralized way that also increases the health of the network. You can yeah, get up to 9%. How do I do uh, this? I'll let, I'll, the listener is going to have to wait because that is uh, coming up in later on in the news. But if we can get there, nice. we'll, we can move on. Yeah, uh, I definitely want to hear that, David. So some uh, yummy interest rates ahead. But mm-hmm. in order to do that, we got to get to the rest of the news. David, what else are we covering today? 
Coming up, we got to talk about uh, how much of a main character Gary was that <laughs> this last week. Uh, so yes. if you want to see your catharsis, if you did not watch Gary Gensler's hearing, remember the whole Gary Gary going to the principal's office thing? Well, that happened. Uh, and so we got to watch certain members of Congress absolutely grill Gary. So we are going to take those clips and play them for you in case you missed it. Um, but there's other things to talk about as well. Coinbase moving offshore. And damn it, I kind of just teased it, but Rocket Pool's Atlas upgrade uh, changes the game with their economics. And that's <laughs> perhaps maybe the source of what I was talking about. That's where about I get my other. 9%. That's all where right. you, perhaps, yeah, uh, 9.7. Uh, but well, so in order to get all those things, we're going to talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. The grilling of Gary Gensler, that's what happened in front of Congress this week. It wasn't a full grilling, but I think we're going to talk about uh, some of the Congress members, members of Congress, who asked Gary the questions I think we all wanted him to be asked. We've got some clips coming up, but uh, give us the high level here. What happened this week, David, and what are we looking at on screen? And so there was a hearing for Gary Gensler so that Congress, specifically the House uh, Financial Services Committee, called Gary Gensler in so they could ask him questions uh, about a handful of things, uh, including, including some non-crypto things, but definitely some crypto things. Uh, and so, uh, interestingly, post the hearing, the committee Republicans out of the uh, Financial Services Committee of the House released this press release. And the press release is titled, Committee Republicans Grill SEC Chair Gary Gensler Regarding His Disastrous Agenda, which, like, I agree with. Like, thank you for grilling him. It's Interesting. also very political. Very political. They are making a very public statement that they would like you to know, perhaps constituent, that the Republicans are grilling Gary Gensler. Like, first off, what's your take on that, Ryan? I was, I'm surprised. This is the financialservices.house.gov. I'm, I, I don't read these often, these press releases, but it is incredibly, mm-hmm. uh, incredibly political, right? Look, at, the, look right. at this sentence. Today, the Republicans on the House Financial Services Committee held Gary Gensler accountable for his disastrous agenda that threatens the dominance of U.S. capital markets and our competitiveness. First of all, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, Second this of is all, all right. This is not a neutral kind of no. press release that you'd read like, yeah, today we brought in SEC chair and we asked him some questions. This is like disastrous agenda, right. threatening dominance of U.S. capital markets. So they're just saying it. They're just mm-hmm. coming out and saying it in this press release. And, and certainly that was uh, the tone of the questions that many Republicans specifically, Congress right. members asked Gary. Yeah, it's in this press release, the uh, the Re- Republicans continue to force him to answer for his reckless rulemaking agenda, regulation by enforcement of the digital asset ecosystem, and disregard for the capital formation piece of the SEC's statutory mission. Digital assets, like, they are protecting digital assets in the first paragraph of this press release. Um, Patrick McHenry, who I believe is, like, the chair of the House uh, uh, Finance Committee, he was the guy, like, doing the... the conducting between like, okay, you, you next house member, you have five minutes to talk. He was doing that job. Uh, also grilled him on whether or not ether is a security. Uh, so we got all of these clips ready to go. Uh, so this is going to be called a high, a highlight reel. Uh, I think there's four of them, McHenry, Tom Emmer, Warren Davidson, and then another clip about when Gary is given just 30 seconds by another house member to talk about whatever he wants. And, uh, he chose to talk about something and we will talk about all of these things. You ready to get into the clip? Here we go. This is uh, who? Patrick McHenry, who yeah. we were just talking about, um, asking Gary Gensler whether Ether is a commodity or a security. Let's play it. Ether is one of the um, most popular digital assets and powers of the Ethereum blockchain. 
back in 2018, then SEC Corporation Finance Director Bill Hinman uh, stated that he believed Ether was not a security. Uh, last month, CFTC Chair uh, Benham expressed his view that Ether is a commodity. Uh, the State Attorney General of New York asserted in a court filing last month that Ether is a security. Clearly, an asset cannot be both a commodity and a security. Do you agree? Um, I, I, it, actually, all securities are commodity <laughs> under the Commodity and Exchange Act. It's that we are excluded commodities. But I would agree that a security cannot be also an excluded commodity and an included commodity. Thank I'm you. sorry, Chair, just to talk about the Commodity Exchange Act more precisely. Okay, Thanks, so Chair. do you recognize, uh, how would you categorize Ether then? I think that the general sweep of what Congress did, not just in the 30s, but uh, as amended. I'm asking here, you, sitting your chair now to make an assessment under the laws as exist, is Ether a commodity or a security? Without speaking to anyone. I know you've okay, repeatedly said you're not going to speak to facts. one, except you've spoken to one, Bitcoin. So I'm asking you to speak to a <laughs> second one, the lar second largest market cap here. And speaking to the tokens, there's 10 to 12,000. What? There's a group of entrepreneurs. In I'm the asking about the one. The public is anticipating a profit based on the. I'm asking a specific question, Chair Gensler. I said this in private. This should be no shock to you. I'm asking this question. Is it? <laughs> I told e you I was going to do this. A commodity or security? And again, it depends on the facts and the he's law. He's not going to so like he doesn't. He knows he's. I'm not asking about the facts and the law sitting in your seat and the judgment you are making. And so, uh, uh, Mr. Chair, I think you, you would not want me to prejudge because I'm also. But you have prejudged on that. Thank you, Patrick McHenry, asking well the done. question, is Ether a security? And uh, Gensler refuses to answer. That's right. what that was. Right. Uh, and uh, that topic came up a number of times. Uh, and like the consensus of people are like, he doesn't want, he thinks they're all securities. He thinks everything is a security. Except like, for some reason, Bitcoin, maybe, yeah. why? We don't, don't really know. Uh, okay, so what, what is the next clip we're about to watch? This is Tom Emmer, who comes in with an absolute grilling. Uh, this, is, this was, like, awesome to watch. I would not want to be in, in Gary's position. So here's Tom Emmer. Five minutes. Thank you. Chair Gensler, I have a lot of questions and a limited amount of time, so if you could keep your answers either a yes or a no, that will allow us to get through as many as possible, sir. He's not going to do that. From your no. perspective, is it more difficult now for the digital asset industry to access financial products and services in the United States than it was, say, two years ago? Uh, <laughs> sir, I, I, I'm not running one of those businesses. If they <laughs> came into compliance, I think Reclaiming my time. The answer, sir, is yes. Do you think you and the SEC have had a role to play in that? I think we have a role to protect the American investor and the capital markets and the- Reclaiming my time, sir. You have played an obvious role in that. During your tenure at the SEC, how many rules has the SEC finalized that actually accommodate the existing regulatory framework and are specifically to the digital ind asset industry so the crypto market can come into compliance? It's our rule books that are on the books for years, so we have not finalized yeah. any new rule specifically yeah. with regard to crypto. We've proposed some things in best execution. We have also... Uh, Sir, reclaiming my time, the answer is zero. 
And how many enforcement actions has the SEC levied against digital asset companies during your tenure, sir? I think it's probably 40 or 50. The answer, sir, is about 55. My understanding is that the biggest crypto failure in history is probably FTX at $9 billion. Were you the chairman of the SEC when Ooh. FTX collapsed? Yes. And how many times did you meet with FTX prior to their collapse? I think my public record shows two. You met it with FTX at least twice. And arguably, the second biggest crypto failure in history was Terra Luna. Who was the chairman of the SEC when Terra Luna collapsed, sir? We had brought... Uh... You were, sir, reclaiming my time. You were. There are five members on the commission. Do you believe your speeches and interviews are to serve as the official position of the SEC? There, uh, I can only speak for myself when I'm speaking. Again, sir, in a statement on the SEC website, you are quoted saying, the Kraken staking as a service enforcement action should make clear to the marketplace that staking as a service providers must register. But again, you haven't provided any rules for how that can be done. I must remind you, your public statements are not regulations. It's not responsible to expect the American people to assume your statements are a substitute for rules. Do you agree with this statement regarding the digital asset industry? The SEC needs additional congressional authorities to prevent transactions, products, and platforms from falling between the regulatory cracks. I think that it's a non largely non-compliant field. And Sir, again, you, I, I asked you to comply with my uh, questions, and I'm asking you if you agree with that quote. And I, I'm going to tell you, I'm quoting you from an August 3rd, 2021 article where Coming you, uh, and I believe you told uh, Congressman Hill earlier that you need congressional authority to regulate stablecoins, and stablecoins happen to be a significant percentage of the crypto market. So the question is, when were you telling the truth? to Mr. Hill or to me, uh, you've got to start answering these questions in a more uh, transparent manner, sir. Does it concern you, by the way, that your approach to the digital asset industry is actually driving this industry out of the United States? We're trying to drive it to compliance, and if they're not complying with the laws, then they shouldn't be offering their products. Reclaiming my time. Uh, Madam Chair, I would like to enter into the record this Wall Street Journal article from April 14th, 2023, detailing China's ploy to open its banking system to crypto firms in an effort to seize an opportunity created by our hostile regulatory environment, which, uh, uh, yes. Mr. Chair, you're a big With, part of. Without Look, objection. Chair Gensler, FTX was domiciled abroad and so is Binance, yet American consumers still had access to both. You can't really think that pushing this industry abroad is going to protect American consumers when it hasn't several times in the past on your watch. You say the crypto market is rife with non-compliance. However, existing SEC rules make no sense for blockchain-based companies and following them would actually kill these businesses. Your regulatory style lacks flexibility and nuance, and as a result, you've been an incompetent Ooh, nice. cop on the beat, doing nothing to protect everyday Americans and pushing American firms into the hands of the CCP. Your intention to work against SEC mission and put American investors in harm's way has been made very apparent, sir. It's been a year and a half since you've appeared before this committee. You need to answer to Congress about the issues that you've had with the SEC staff union, the work environment you've cultivated at the SEC that's led to hemorrhaging of senior staff, the intellectual inconsistency of your regulatory treatment towards Bitcoin spot ETFs, and your politicization of capital formation opportunities, your expired. treatment of certain SPACs. And that's just a name of really a wasted word.
every <laughs> single word he just said was useful. Well, wow. this is very this is very coordinated, quite clearly. Like um, yeah. they, they, some of the Congress members were just handing the ball off from one to another. Like you ask right. this question, I'll ask this question, that sort of thing. Here's the next ball passed to Warren Davidson, who's calling to restructure the SEC and the removal of Chair Gary Gensler. Let's listen to this. Chairman Gensler, your record of failures to protect investors and abuses of power make it clear that we need to restructure the Securities and Exchange Commission. The failures are many, but let me cite some of the abuses. You average more than two rules proposals a month. You inappropriately provide inappropriately short comment periods. You have unworkable and unlawful ESG disclosure mandates on the market. You have essentially a Hotel California rule for crypto where you can check in anytime you like, but you can never leave. You have endless discovery with no resolution and no clarity for the captives uh, in the market. You have unworkable proposals for overhauling equity market structure, a de facto ban on crypto through proposed custody rule. You have high staff turnover, unhappy people leaving your office, and unhappy companies and capital leaving our country. Uh, to correct a long series of abuses, I'm introducing legislation that removes the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, and replaces the role with an executive director that reports to the board where all authority would reside. Former chairs of the SEC will be un ineligible under my pr proposed bill. Uh, and this isn't just my take. It resonates across the political spectrum. The American people want democratic access to capital, retail investor participation. You can't just exclude retail investors from markets and claim it's for their own good. Our markets need to function and flourish, and I yield back. Wow, there, calling yeah. for his removal with him on the spot. This was definitely a, the, the grilling time that we saw. David, there are some other clips from others that we're not going to play today from um, the more supportive side of Gary right. Gensler, but could you tease those out? Because I know you watched this live. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, people like Maxine Waters, mm -hmm. uh, who uh, blew a kiss to SBF, I believe, right. at Same one point person. in time. Yep. And also big, uh, Brad uh, Sherman, yeah. Brad mm -hmm. Sherman, big, big Gensler fans, it seems. Um, so we're, we're playing kind of the grill session side of things. Right. We we don't have time to play all of the clips, but what was the Maxine Waters, Sherman take and some of the, right. uh, you know, the, the Gary fans out there? How did that sound? Yeah, it's worth noting that this hearing was like over two hours long. Um, and while like you, this is what we are provided just now is a very concentrated amount of just all, all of the things that are related to the crypto world that are like the things that we like, right? Uh, there are, there was a, hours of stuff that was kind of just like irrelevant to crypto. There was some like SEG investing and environmental stuff that was just like not re related to crypto. Uh, and then there were people like Maxine Waters who was just like throw in underhand pitches to Gary so he could just like knock them out of the park. And also Brad Sherman, who like thanked Gary for reigning in the crypto industry, which wow. we all know he didn't actually do. Uh, and so like there is, uh, this was not, this is not just like everyone just berating Gary Gensler. These are like four people, um, four people who are, who are just absolutely grilling Gary Gensler. There was one moment, which we're gonna play here, where one of the uh, members of the committee said, uh, hey Gary, um, I have 30 seconds of my time left. Do you want them? And so here is what Gary chose to do with those 30 seconds. Uh, I have about 35 seconds. Is there anything you'd like to share with us to, if I yield my last 30 seconds to you? Well, I, if I could just note something about you, you mentioned your hearing about the recent events in the markets. And I would note there were three banks that failed. 
uh, in those handful of days, those, last, those four or five days. And two of those banks, the first and the third that failed, Silvergate and uh, Signature, were engaged in the crypto business. I mean, some would say they were, you know, crypto banks. And the third, no, those the aren't biggest, crypto Silicon banks are. Valley Bank, Gary. actually, when it failed, you saw this country's, the world's second leading stable coin, uh, had three billion dollars involved there, DPEG. So it's interesting because just how of this the bank. Thank, and some crypto thank you. narrative as well. And my time is up. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. David, you and I were watching this part live, and this kind of told me everything I needed to know because mm -hmm. this um, uh, Congress member, Ms. her Beattie. questions weren't related to crypto at all. Not right. at all. It was right. about some of the other things that you touched upon. He pivoted just the conversation. Market. Yep. And then she just asked a question of, hey, you have 30, 30 seconds. What do you want to say? What does Gary want to say? He wants to FUD crypto. He wants to blame and associate the recent right. bank runs with crypto. Say Silicon Valley Bank was crypto. Signature was Bank crypto. was crypto. Was crypto bank. Look at the you know, stablecoin. And of course, bankless listeners, you know the full story of the bank run. We've right. done many exhaustive episodes on why that happened. This is not a crypto-related incident. Crypto didn't cause this at all. Right. Actually, the banking system itself, underwater it treasuries, all sorts of- it was the banks. It was a problem of the banks. But he is using his time to actually fight crypto, which which tells me, David, everything I you kind of it was the conclusion for me on Gary Gensler. I was I was just kind of hoping like, well, maybe there's a shred of neutrality in this individual as a regular in this person. There's not. There's, there's not. not. He's there's really anti-crypto. And I don't know if it's just him. I, I have a sense, David, this is all part of like Gary is kind of front line for Operation Choke Point. I don't yeah. think it's just Gary inside yeah. of the administration or inside of DC, he has been enabled to go do this. At some point, he might be the fall guy for Operation Choke Point, or this might elevate his status. Right. I'm not sure what kind of political games are going on, but it's very clear to me there is a contingent in DC that wants to choke out crypto. And uh, you know, Gary Gensler is a frontline operator in that contingent group. We didn't play this clip, but there was a moment, I can't remember who asked him, but the first questions that he asked that this, um, this, uh, house member asked Gary was, did you work with Senator Warren ahead of time to prepare your answers to these, uh, are you the serious? They asked that. Did you? Yeah. They yeah, know yeah. what's up. And so what like Gary said, of course, like, no, I'm, I'm here of my independent thought. No, I did yeah. not do that. I would but never. like, what did that, what did that house rep know? Like. Where, why did he ask that question? Like, where did that, where was the motivation for that question? Where'd that one come from? What's wow. up with that? I mean, just to emphasize too, this was said, said in one of the, um, the questions, uh, mm -hmm. to chair Gensler, the sec filed 1500 enforcement actions. Yet Gary still missed FTX SB, uh, SBF. And this, this is coming from Anthony Cezano. This is his tweet. He's retweeting Gary Gensler's most recent influencer video tweet where he says, serving at the SEC for two years has been an honor. We filed 1,500 enforcement actions and overseen tens of thousands of registrants. His number one claim to fame, the thing that he's most proud of, is the first thing he puts first on this tweet is the 1,500 uh, enforcement actions. And, and then Sazzle, the Sazzle reminds us that, like, well, you missed the one that caused the harm, though. Like, what about You got those? Kim Kardashian, David. You got Kim Remember that? Kardashian. Remember this, this summer? <laughs> 
you know, $200,000 fine. Got that so, one. So that was also a topic in the hearing. Um, one of the House reps was like, um, so you uh, fined Kim Kardashian for this Ether Max. Did you go after the issuers? And Gary starts responding like, yeah, so we fined Kim Kardashian like $2 million. And the guy goes, no, 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 no. Did you, did you go after the issuers? And Gary's like, no, we didn't What do that. issuers? They don't have that. <laughs> like, I'm trying to be an influencer here. Kim Kardashian, Gary Gensler. I'm trying to like, go. That's, like, have you seen how many followers she has on Twitter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this is uh, Crypto Twitter dug this up too. So uh, remember that line of, of questioning mm-hmm. from um, Patrick McHenry asking, mm-hmm. Gary, is ETH a security? Is ETH a security? Is ETH a security? This is a clip from 2018, not that long ago, at where MIT, Gary Gensler, right? mm-hmm. yeah, this is when he was a professor at MIT before he was chair of um, the Securities and Exchange Committee. And uh, he's talking, he's giving a lecture on cryptocurrency and Ethereum. Let's see what he has to say. Uh, but that was in 2014. And in 2018, the Securities and Exchange Commission has said, regardless of what it might have been in 14, it's now sufficiently decentralized that we'll consider it not a security. Huh. But in essence, they raised $18 million and uh, we're off to the races. Hmm. Seemed wow. pretty chill with it back then. <laughs> <laughs> My how things change. David, this is a take from you after observing the congressional session there. Uh, what's your take? Yeah, so Maxine Waters, uh, again, we didn't play that clip, uh, praised Gary Gensler, was teeing him up so he could hit Grand Slams. Uh, and then she's also the one that blew SBF a kiss. Uh, Brad Sherman, thanks, Gary, for reigning in crypto. Both of these two people are Democrats. The person that gave Gary Gensler the 35 seconds to talk about whatever he wants, also a Democrat. Uh, Patrick McHenry, a Republican, was the one that pressures Gary for clarity on Ether. Tom Emmer, a Republican, grills Gary about everything the crypto industry has been saying. And then there's the other clip that we played of uh, the guy saying that the whole SEC is like leaving, they don't like you, you're incompetent, also a Republican. And so like, Yo, Democrats, come on. <laughs> where, where, what you guys doing? I mean, I think we want to get um, a Democrat on the podcast. Uh, Richie Torres, a house rep out of New York, uh, Democrat, uh, pro-crypto. Um, That's one. That, we, that got we got one, one. maybe. We got one. <laughs> we got one. This is turning into a, a partisan issue, and it really it shouldn't be a partisan issue. Yeah. And it's very unfortunate. It's very disappointing. And... You know, I bankless does not skew in one political direction or another. It's not right or it, you know, it's not left, but it is very much anti-authoritarianism. Right, and not it's left, very much pro crypto right, values. Definitely not top down. Definitely exactly. Up. And so, I mean, th- I know this is a common part of the Democrat uh, Democratic platform. But we're not mm-hmm. hearing from anyone yet, so right. it's unfortunate. I think that's what you're reacting to here, David. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. While this was going on, all right, the same Earlier week, in the week, Gensler gets grilled. The SEC has charged crypto asset trading platform Bittrex and mm-hmm. its former CEO for operating an unregistered ex, uh, securities exchange, brokerage, and clearing agency. And David, what are the details here? What sort of assets, crypto assets, is the SEC now alleging are actually securities? Yeah, so this was unique in that they actually named certain crypto assets, which they called securities. Um, so Bittrex, if you haven't heard of that exchange, is a, it was formerly a United States exchange. It has been moving offshore, uh, based in Seattle, actually. This was actually the first 
call it a shitcoin exchange that I ever traded uh, ICOs <laughs> on back in 2017. This was my first crypto exchange. So I bought my first unregistered securities on Bittrex. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Bittrex, I guess. Um, it, it's been like losing in volume ever since 2017. Uh, Omise Go, Algorand, Dash, uh, the monolith token, uh, IHT, I don't know what that is, and NGC, also don't know what that is, are securities. Omise Go, like a 2017 ICO darling, um, one of those definitely a bunch of hype and hot air. Um, Algorand uh, is a more relevant crypto asset that uh, apparently Gary has been a intellectual fan of at his oh, times in MIT. Yeah, so and so here Algorand is some is clips of Gary talking about Algorand. On top of a blockchain technology today, uh, well, maybe in five you years you could. It would be have no, the no performance. Uh, Sylvia McCallie's <laughs> Algorand. Uh, that was five years a, ago, by the way. <laughs> uh, Turing Award winner at, at MIT that I work with. Um, Sylvia's got a MIT. great technology that mm, has performance. Yeah. You could create Uber on top of it. The question is then who would update the software? He is now a securities promoter. <laughs> by, by his own degree. And so that's not the only clip. There's like other clips of Gary like frequently using like Algorand as the example. And like, sure, it was developed at MIT. He was a professor at MIT. No one's he really about thinking. It. He knew about it. But just like, it's it's funny. It's kind of gone full circle. It's funny. Okay, here's the thing, right? It's just like this assortment of uh, crypto assets. David, what does this have in common to you? Like, does this stick out in any way to you? Like, yeah, Omise Go, all... Algorand, Dash. Yeah. Like, there's no consistency. There's no oh, clarity. The only theme is that these are, th this is struck, you know that, what year is it meme? Like, these are all 2017 ICO tokens. Or like, is that, that, these is that it? Is that the consistency here? Yeah, it's but that's also when Bittrex, the exchange, was the biggest, and that, it, that was when it was at its peak. But yeah, these are all like 2017 era tokens. Yeah. There is no clarity in the US. If Gary Gensler can't even tell us if the right. second largest market cap crypto asset, Ether, is a security or not. And by the way, right. he doesn't get to decide, but he at least has right. to provide some clarity on what mm -hmm. their future enforcement actions are. If he can't tell us that about Ether, we have absolutely no clarity. And that, that was so, that's what was so maddening about his testimony in front of Congress, David, is he kept saying things like, there is clarity. Crypto just needs to come in and comply. They, they're, they're the ones that aren't complying. And mm -hmm. yet we clearly see we have no clarity. And this just looks like a grab bag of assets. Just to really drill down on like how there's no theme with these tokens. Omise Go was an ICO. It was a token, is still a token on Ethereum that raised $25 million in an ICO. It was like one of the biggest airdrops of all time because they airdropped OMG tokens to any and all Ethereum wallets that had at least 0.1 Ether in it, if I can remember. So that was an ERC-20 token on Ethereum that did an ICO. Dash was a layer one proof of stake, proof of work hybrid token that also had privacy involved. It was a layer one uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if it was a Monero code base. It was something uh, Monero adjacent. Something like that. Something privacy. something like that. Yeah, but like layer one, not not uh, like semi like semi expressive contracts, but no tokens. No, I don't think if there maybe there was an ICO. Uh, Algorand, another layer one. Uh, TKN, another ERC twenty token on Ethereum. So like no coherency. These across the board. Yeah, I mean, if these are tokens, then every, or if these are securities, then everything's a security. I, yeah, just, but that's the point. That we just don't thinks. know. But I guess. <laughs> he does think that, yeah. Uh, this is your take on the Bittrex mm -hmm. enforcement action. Yeah, so I just tweet out, um, the, as a, th this charge against Bittrex is too spineless to go after the major exchanges who, by extension, are doing the same thing. 
Like Omise Go, I think it got delisted from Coinbase, but like once upon a time listed on Coinbase. So like this, this charge against Bittrex basically says that every single crypto exchange, probably your crypto exchange listener, is an unregistered securities exchange. Well, I mean, you're saying too spineless, and I agree with you. He's not like immediately driving Coinbase out, but right. um, this is certainly a chilling effect and telling Kraken right. they can no longer stake, um, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, th there's a Wells notice out at Coinbase. Who knows what that sa says? Mm -hmm. um, he's definitely coming for some of the larger exchanges next, which mm -hmm. brings us to, to Coinbase this week. Coinbase got a Bermuda license and they plan <laughs> to launch an offshore exchange in the coming weeks. This has got to be for redundancy purposes, a backup option for sure. Okay. And uh, Brian Armstrong said as much. The Coinbase CEO won't rule out relocating the company away from the United States. That's what he said in some statements at a conference in the UK. A few quotes from that. I think the US has the potential to be an important market for crypto, but right now we are not seeing that regulatory clarity that we need. I think in a number of years, if we don't see that regulatory clarity emerge in the US, we may have to consider investing more elsewhere in the world. Talking about moving Coinbase outside of US borders. The compliant exchange. That's what Coinbase has always tried right. to be. And from everything I've seen, like they have been sort of the straight A student, front of the classroom, mm -hmm. always raising the hand, like the teacher's pet of exchanges, basically. An, an explicit BD strategy for them yeah. is to and be if compliant. They, if they and compare them to Binance, for instance, right? right? <laughs> or compare them to you know SBF and F, FTX and all of that. Um, so if they can't make it in the US, who can is the question. Right. So right. it's like, thanks a lot, Gary. You are now driving our compliant, honest, good exchanges outside of the borders of the United States. That is what now, it, is happening. To be clear, they're not shutting down their main. They're not, they're not, this isn't a new exchange. This is like, yeah. you know, Binance US to Binance, FTX US to FTX. Um, it's sad that those are the two things that I have to compare Coinbase to to make the point. Um, I would expect the Coinbase International version would be just as compliant as the United States version, as again as an explicit strategy. But mm -hmm. this is like this is just the context that that this is operating under. And if some of you are thinking, well, that's just centralized exchanges, and you know, centralized exchanges will be regulated by regulators. Right. Guess what? Gary is not satisfied with that either. All right, Gary wants the definition of an exchange to encompass decentralized exchanges as well. This is uh, actually another thing that happened this week. The SEC wants to redefine the definition of exchange to include decentralized exchanges. And so that means if a decentralized exchange, if this rulemaking passes, fails to register as a national securities exchange or a broker dealer in the US, there will be civil penalties. Basically, Gary and a team are saying that if you are opening up a Uniswap or a SushiSwap or any sort of decentralized exchange, you have to get permission from the SEC. Come in for office hours with Gary Gensler first, and then like maybe we'll let you have it. If what like the Uniswap code has if to like don't delist all of the first. securities, yeah. which we don't even know which like this is first of all it's unenforceable because it's smart <laughs> contract code, but like secondly this is quite the chilling effect for all U.S. entrepreneurs developing on DeFi. What does that mean? If I'm like developing mm -hmm. a DeFi exchange, I have civil penalties. They're gonna charge me with like five to $10 million. If I like release this code into the wild, this is open source code. This is mm -hmm. exactly the, the point that Coin Center is making. Of course, our faithful uh, crypto educators and lobbyists 
in uh, DC. They put out a post on this. Um, they filed a comment explaining why it's unconstitutional that the SEC is proposing to change the, the term exchange to mean decentralized exchange. And they say this, the effect of the definition on open source software developers is nonetheless clear. Anyone writing or distributing DEX software would be violating the law if they don't register. And they go on to say, this is a free speech violation. Gary Gensler, mm -hmm. you don't have the authority to regulate free speech, open source code in the United States of America. Like what, why are you reaching into this too? Right. It's uh, absolutely crazy to me. There's some reactions we could talk about, but I wanna get yours first. What's your take on this? So when I was going through the agenda, I like made a comment on this one. I was like, I don't really get what this is. Uh, let's flag for removal. And you were like, no, 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 no. This is a really big deal. And so I want to read the title of this piece because the title is very intentional. The title is, a new SEC proposal has a serious change hidden within its complex language. And this didn't really get, there was a lot of fanfare about Gary and the SEC today. This didn't get much attention versus the clips of Gary on Twitter and also yep. the Bittrex and the Bittrex thing, which led to Gary, the influencer promoting Algorand, which he deemed a security. <laughs> Perhaps this is actually the biggest news of the week. It the fact that the SEC is now saying that hey, DEXs must come in and register, which is uh, uh, impossible, obviously. Uh, and like the whole hidden within its complex language thing, we, we can only assume is intentional and they were successful in at least like slipping it under the cracks to hide it behind. I mean, even when we organize this roll up, we are talking about it third in the third thing because the other two things I mean, were more in people's brains. Here, here's the thing, David, is the agenda to me is crystal clear. It's two things. Mm. Either I control it or I kill it. Those right. are the two options that this agenda is pursuing. So this is an effort to control DeFi. And if right. I can't control it, I kill it. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening. Uh, Hester Peirce, of course, dissented. Um, she's got some colorful uh, comments here that uh, maybe we'll, we'll read out just to refresh the palette, let you know that not everyone is, is crazy here. Uh, let me read this. Today's commission aggressively expands its regulatory reach to solve problems that do not exist. Today's commission treats its basic approach to exchange regulation as something that must not, indeed cannot be altered, to allow any room for new technologies or for new ways of doing business. And I love this part. Today's commission tells entrepreneurs trying to do new things in our markets to come in and register. When entrepreneurs find they cannot, the commission dismisses the possibility of making practical adjustments to our regu regulation framework to help entrepreneurs register and instead rewards their good faith with an enforcement action. Today's commission treats the notice and comment rulemaking process not as a conversation, but as a threat. 100%. That is the posture of this SEC regulatory regime under Gary Gensler. That's why we're giving it so much time and attention is because I think this mm -hmm. is the guy on the front lines of Operation Choke Point. And um, it's getting the point, David, where we have to resist or else what? Mm -hmm. like, we have to like leave the country? Like what? Like this is getting, it's, it's just absolutely crazy. Yeah, I, we need to move at some point move on because I know we're like, we're, we're damn, an hour into the show. This is a very big deal. All of this stuff is a very big deal. I think I'll just leave listeners with this. Remember um, with Elizabeth Warren like one or two weeks ago when she was the main character and she was like, I'm building an anti-crypto army. 
yeah. then there was a, oh, you weren't there. It was me and, it was me and Anthony uh, for that week because you we were out on vacation. One of the big, um, uh, journal, the, I, the news reported that like, uh, the, and this move by Elizabeth Warren has attracted some positive remarks from bank lobbyists and, and banks in general. And so banks wow. have made a big move. And now we have... Um, the whole choke point 2.0 with Treasury and Janet Yellen. And then also we had uh, that one uh, House representative who said to Gary Gensler, did you prepare your questions in advance alongside Elizabeth Warren? Yeah. So my question is, what axis is operating behind the scenes to coordinate all of this stuff, to give Gary the confidence to be so audacious, to You're do right. all of these things yeah. when like, what, what backstop does he have that somebody general. will catch him? Yeah. He's a general in the Elizabeth Warren army, whatever that right. army consists of. Exactly well, I, what's happening. I, I think the Elizabeth, I mean, Elizabeth Warren definitely like, you know, the commander Sherman of that army. Right. Um, that's a world war two reference, not Brad Sherman. Um, <laughs> but uh, it fits. <laughs> yeah, but it fits. But then also just like it's the banks the banks yeah. are the last line of defense. We are seeing the Gary Gensler to me is here's a take is just a manifestation of the will of the banks. Well, he's certainly uh, funding it, whether it's the banks or the, the establishment, the institutions in general is certainly what's behind this. And I guess, David, at some level, what did we expect? We're in crypto. We're disrupting power structures. What did we expect? Matt, at mm -hmm. some level, I'm surprised this didn't start to happen sooner. But now it's happening. We've got a fight on our hands. And so um, we got to do our part. If that if it is true that there's like this power axis and Gary Gensler is the front and we have a few other people in the front, Janet Yellen, Elizabeth Warren, but there's like this axis of power and it's like the last line of the, the people in the rear echelons or the banks. I'm the only thing I'm surprised is like, I guess I'm not surprised. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> what what were you gonna say though? That it's that it's coordinated. That they're they're able uh, to do this. They're getting into the SEC. They're they're like, what did the banks like get together and sit down at their table and be like, all right, how do we do this? And they're like, Gary, yeah. get him into the SEC. Get him to charge crypto. It's like, damn, that took some forethought and some yeah. Some it, well, here's planning. the thing, and it's it's not always the case that kind of the the best value system wins or the you know best thing for the people wins or anything else. It's it's only the coordinated survive. And so yeah. if they can out-coordinate us, they can win. But I am mm -hmm. hopeful, mm -hmm. Bankless Nation, that we can out-coordinate them. And we have right. an asset that they don't have on their side. I'm not talking about a financial asset here. I'm talking about the people. This is the a people. decentralized technology. Anyone should be able to own their own digital property. And we can build this from the ground up. And so that's why I think the crypto movement's all about. And also, why we've been talking about coordination the entire time on this podcast from the beginning of Bankless, because it's all coordination. In the words of good old Kevin Owaki, it's all coordination all the way down. Can we out-coordinate the banks? I hope so, and I think so. Uh, mm -hmm. We got more to talk about. Let's stop with about. Gary. What, what's coming up next, David? Uniswap Wallet gets out of jail. So you can all go download the Uniswap Wallet, if you so choose, uh, a new OP stack Client just dropped the first ever layer two, Ryan, that has a second client. That's pretty cool. Uh, the mm -hmm. Solana phone is out and about. And also, we're going to start with this as soon as we get back. Rocket Pool's Atlas upgrade is where you can get extra yield on your yield because yo dog, I heard you, you like yield. Uh, so we'll talk about <laughs> all of that and more as soon as we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. David, you promised us some yummy yields earlier in the show. Is this the part where we get to the yield? What's happening? 
Yeah, this is the third time we've said the word yummy on the show. Uh, okay, so the Rocket Pool Atlas upgrade. Uh, what is the Atlas upgrade? Uh, first off, how does Rocket Pool work? Rocket Pool, your friendly neighborhood decentralized staking as a service provider. Uh, people who want to uh, allow our ETH to be minted, they will come in with 16 Ether half of what's usually required. They will spin up a validating node and they will deposit their 16 ether and they will allow 16 other ether to come in to their node to create one node of 32 ether and then 16 R ETH will be minted and that is the R ETH that you would buy on Balancer or Uniswap. That's how Rocket Pool works. The Atlas upgrade reduces the collateral demand for Rocket Pool from 16 to eight. Uh, and so it doubles the capital efficiency because it uh, allows for doubling of the supply of nodes. Also, why? what's the incentive to run a rocket pool node for people who want to actually deposit their 16 ether and allow for 16 other people to come in? They, those people, get to charge the other half of their node 15%. So if the ETH stake rate is 6.7%, which it is, you get, you get that yield. But then you also charge 15% of that 6.7% of the people that backfill your node. Make sense so far? Yes. So you're saying to get that extra interest boost, I have to run a rocket pool node. Yes, correct. You run a rocket pool node, you deposit half of a node, and then you get to charge the other half of the ether 15% of their yield. With the rocket pool Atlas upgrade, I think you can see where this is going. The collateral requirement goes from 16 down to eight. So if you, let's say you have 32 ether, uh, just because 32 is the numbers we've been thinking about. With Rocket Pool before, you would be able to uh, create two Rocket Pool nodes, put 16 Ether in each, and then you would uh, charge 15% of the 6.7% of other people's 32 Ether. So that would net you at a boost of 7.7% yield. So you would go from 6.7 to 7.7, an extra 1%. Great. Uh, Rocket Pool now, it's an 8 ETH requirement for one node. So that 32 ETH, instead of just being divided into two nodes, 16 and 16, actually creates four nodes because that's how math works. Uh, And so you can (laughs) get to spin up four Rocket Pool nodes and you get to charge 15% on 96 Ether and you are the remaining uh, 32. to create four nodes. And so that juices the deal, the yield because you are charging 15% of the uh, 6.7% yield that 96 ether that's not yours is getting. You would ultimately come to about a 9.7% yield if you run four rocket pool nodes, which you need 32 ETH to do. And so that's the rocket pool upgrade. Everyone's super stoked about it. It is, like I said, doubling the capital efficiency of rocket pool, as you will. And I mentioned this In order to get that. In order to get that boost, David, I have to not only run a rocket pool node, but I also have to have 32 ETH. Is that right? Correct. Yes, that's right. Or 16 or eight, although it does cost some gas fees um, to mint one. So like doing it for eight is probably not viable the last I checked. Um, and so we've already seen some economics. So uh, there are some charts that we're going to look at as well. The largest R ETH mint. So here's the upgrade announcement. That's just a link in the show notes. Uh, so here is uh, the graph of our ETH being minted, and you can see the absolutely whopping going charts up. Uh, going big, Huge. two big mints. Yeah, so there was one mint of like 12,000 our ETH in one day, and then one at like 8,000. So our ETH supply, which has always been the thing that's like constrained Rocket Pool the most, is the capital efficiency and the supply of our ETH. not as capital ETH. efficient as, uh, you know, your, your centralized exchange staking right. or even Lido mm-hmm. staking, is it? But that's right. the trade-off. Not as capital efficient, but more decentralized. Exactly. Yeah. So the mo- the more most decentralized staking as a service provider on Ethereum has doubled its capital efficiency. Uh, so that's that's the news. There's some other um, cool upgrades to 
uh, Rockable Atlas, if you want to um, learn more about those, there's a link in the show notes. This is really cool, Dune and Links board. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so what is the RE supply these days? Um, there are there almost 11,000 minters and there's almost a quarter million RE out on the market, but that supply has only gone up over time. Uh, I really hope it goes up. I would love to see like rocket pool decentralized staking to be like, you know, a third of a the third network. Deck. At they, least. I don't think, nice. I think they've self capped themselves to below a third. They've self capped yeah. themselves to 20%. But there's, there's a ton of other more decentralized, um, you know, staking mm-hmm. pool providers coming right. on the scene too. So hopefully yes, as part of that ba- space is about to get very competitive. I'm glad. I'm very yeah. glad. Okay. This is uh, another competitive space. This is mm-hmm. uh, layer twos introducing Magi. Is that how you say it? Magi, our brand new OP stack rollup client written in Rust. What is this, David? What is Magi? Magi, Maggie, Magi is the second client for Optimism for the OP stack. Optimism Bedrock is using the OP stack. Therefore, any OP stack chain now has a client. Uh, And so this is really important infrastructure for A, the decentralization of layer twos because having multiple clients is... It's um, anti-fragility, it's resilience, it's uptime. Only Ethereum has that though, really. Mm -hmm. Solana has one in development, but it looks like a layer two beat Solana to the punch. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Solana has a phone, David. We'll get to that later. We'll get to the Solana phone in a second. Um, Anyways, this is uh, the idea of this, the net effect of this, is that A, optimism itself can become more decentralized, but we can also uh, produce more OP stack chains. And this has always been and is the bull case for optimism, is let 10,000 OP stack chains bloom. Uh, This OP stack Client is written in Rust for the developers that like Rust, which apparently there are a lot of them. Um, this was also developed by A16Z, um, which is a uh, investor in Optimism. Kind of cool. So I mean, super cool. A, a yeah. VC, an evil VC, and um, but also giving back to public goods, giving back to the community. This is open there's, source code, so go for it. There's way more evil VCs it. out there than than A16Z. Oh, really? Let's yeah, name them. Let's get let's get the uh, T right now. Um, <laughs> Should we it's try really name cool. names? <laughs> <laughs> That's a different show. We'll save that for the premium feed. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, Uniswap Labs. Mm-hmm. Of course, they had their wallet that was coming. That was that was locked in jail from mm-hmm. uh, Apple. This is a non-custodial <laughs> wallet from Uniswap Labs, uh, and it just went live. Actually, last week, late last week, after we recorded the, the last rollup, it went live, and the Uniswap m- mobile wallet is now out of Apple jail, live in most countries. A fantastic UX. We did an entire episode on this with the the lead designer at Uniswap. Mm. We'll include a link to the show notes. I think the call to action is, if you're on the bankless journey, go download the Uniswap wallet. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. It's a non-custodial wallet, okay? This is one of those things we've been we've been waiting for and uh, very cool that Uniswap is developing tools for the ecosystem as well, not just a decentralized exchange. I've got my hands on the Uniswap wallet in test flight. Um, I will absolutely download it in, real, in the real world. It is very easy, very intuitive. We love it. Big fans. Yeah, NFT support, yeah. uh, wallet support. I have, I have my uh, crypto covens in there. <sighs> Very cool. Um, all right, David, we've got uh, this story as well, which is kind of concerning exploit yeah. targeting like crypto OGs of some sort. Wallets we don't even drained. know if it's an exploit. The thing is, we don't know about this story, which is why it's really hard to report on. Like what's going on here is uncertain. And so here's um, uh, Taylor Monahan, formerly my crypto wallet. She tweets out for the past 48 hours, and this is a few days ago, I've been unwinding a massive wallet draining operation, sad emojis, 
I don't know how big it is, but since December of 2022, it's drained over 5,000 ETH and unknown amounts of tokens and NFTs and coins across 11 different chains. It's wrecked my friends and OGs who are all reasonably secure. No one knows how. And then here is like a graph of just like all of these transactions that she's mapped out. Uh, so there is like this wallet draining thing and no one knows how it's happening. Um, and so it's happening across different chains. The people have uh, come to consensus that it is a seed phrase exploit. So there's some- That's one guess, right? That's one, one theory? guess. Yeah. And so like if you've imported your seed phrase manually into MetaMask, you might be at risk. We don't know. Maybe. I have, I've checked a wallet in which I have done that and it is fine. Uh, there's not that much ether in it. There's like half an ether. Did you check? There. When was the last time you checked? You should yesterday, check David. Yesterday or day before. <laughs> um, I, I, people are perplexed by this. Um, it's just I, weird, right? It's just weird. I mean, like yeah. all the circles uh, who, who bring this up were like, hey, this is very weird. It looks like most mm -hmm. of the people, most of the OGs who've been wrecked by this have been you know, very secure, not doing anything silly, like mm -hmm. sharing their seed phrase you know, publicly or... Right. Uh, even though there was a theory that, oh, could this be the last pass hack? Are people keeping seed phrases right. in last pass and that got mm. hacked recently? And maybe the mm. hacker is just kind of like brute force attacking the last pass um, passwords and cracking them and then able to do these withdrawals. That's been a theory. But then I've heard that, um, well, this affected non last pass users as well. So it's just right now, it's kind of at the rumor stage. And I, I've seen these rumors before in crypto. But usually they have explanations at mm -hmm. the end of it. You'll get kind of a rumor of like there's some mysterious uh, draining of wallets. And then like mm -hmm. a couple days later or a week later, do you remember the Hugh Carp hack where yeah. he got hacked for like, we did an episode on this. He got hacked mm -hmm. for like, it was like $20 million. Yeah. He had Always, no idea yeah. how. And it turned out it was a man in the middle attack mm -hmm. from a Microsoft Word document a that he downloaded. file that he got. Yeah, a docx file. And, and, and so for and ever since this story, when, whenever I've sent Ryan a doc, I don't do this anymore, but like I sent Ryan a docx file. He's like, get that fucking thing no, away from me. Excuse get it away. my language. Yeah, get, like, get, I'm not clicking on that. Well, but like, because what it did was it, it somehow replaced his MetaMask yeah. with a, a man in the middle MetaMask, yeah. like and a hacked version his of MetaMask. MetaMask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was scary, but I haven't heard of that, you know, lately. So mm -hmm. we don't know what's going on here. Um, so if you, if you Bankless Nation citizen are concerned about this, uh, the only thing I can really recommend is uh, grab a ledger and spin up a new seed phrase, a new hardware wallet, and migrate your funds there, and then you can consider yourself fully protected. Uh, if you're already on a ledger and you haven't exposed your funds, you're probably fine. Um, it's probably the same thing. That's where I, I have. That's where I keep my money, and I haven't moved mine. Um, but I am keeping my eyes on my wallet that I did import the seed phrase manually into MetaMask that one time. It's and a if, that, it's a if bit. I get, yeah, if I get my point for something ETH snagged, then we'll know. Then we'll know. Unless the hackers <clears> listen <throat> and they choose not to, uh, not to. They're like, snag yeah, David, tell, tell them, to, tell them to, it's all safe. Tell them it's safe. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, MetaMask wanted us to let you know as well that the recent reporting on this incident has incorrectly claimed that a massive wallet draining operation is a result of a MetaMask exploit. This yeah. is incorrect. This is not a MetaMask-specific exploit. So some people were saying, oh, it must be MetaMask. And this is MetaMask saying, no, it's it's not a MetaMask-specific right. exploit. We're actually right. not sure what caused it, but like your MetaMask should be safe right. um, yes. by default. They have found wallets that have been explo exploited that are not MetaMask wallets. So uh, deducing that it's not a MetaMask issue. 
there you go. Reminder to get a hardware wallet. Protect yourself. Uh, good bankless advice here. David, the Solana phone is now live. Saga, the flagship security-conscious crypto-first Android device from Solana Mobile is now available. Here it is. We did an episode with uh, Anatoly on this, uh, and Raj, now yeah. it's out mm-hmm. on the market. Uh, when are you getting your phone, David? When are you getting your Solana phone? I'm waiting at the door. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, look, the vision is very cool. The vision is very cool. I, I shouldn't belittle it. It's a very big deal. You shouldn't. I, you I, shouldn't I, should, I really shouldn't. It's totally unfair of me, actually. <laughs> do, you, do, you know why, do you know why it's cool? It's because um, we are just talking about uh, Uniswap being like mm-hmm. locked in jail. They couldn't actually. Right, yes, they actually. had the app ready last year, <laughs> and Apple wouldn't allow them to release a Uniswap custodial, non-custodial wallet in the marketplace. And so crypto is going like, well, if Apple and Google right. kind of control our phone interfaces, we need a crypto first alternative. And so this is uh, Solana's attempt at, at doing that. And I think it's got a good vision. It's open source. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, good aspects to it. I think the thing that many of us are worried about is, well, it's really hard to be in the phone business. Like it's yeah. a cutthroat business. You need yeah. large network effects. And can a... You're going to compete with watch- Apple and, and Android? <sighs> Oof. It's tough. It's a tough but like again, it's an extremely noble effort. Uh, either I, I, Android have have more faith in Apple, but like either they come to us and serve us as a global or we have cons- to do this. or community, or we have to do this. And so, like tip of the hat to Solana Mobile for pioneering this effort. It's an extremely heavy lift. Um, so yeah, there's that. Yeah, thanks for funding it. Um, Mattel doing NFT stuff. It's a toy Mattel. company. Do you know, what, do you know what Mattel is? Bankless listener, do you know what Mattel toy company is? Well, do okay. you know what Barbies are? Do you know what Hot Barbies, Wheels are? Hot Wheels, Fisher Price, American Girl. I don't know that one. Thomas and Friends, Thomas the Tank Engine, uh, Uno, and Uno. Mega. <laughs> uh, so that company that owns all of those things has launched a digital collectibles marketplace on the Flow blockchain. Uh, that's actually, I would say, the appropriate destination for this. I mean, eventually they should do a ZK EVM on a layer two. Um, but for now, flow makes sense. Yeah, there you go. Uh, how about these Trump NFT cards? He sold out the first batch. Now they've been down only since he sold out, but uh, time for Trump to release series two. And they've yeah. also sold up of the NFTs. So uh, Trump, really bullish on NFTs, said this in the tweet. My new Trump digital collection trading card series two is the number one collection in the world. Must be that the people love the art. A great honor. You think the people love the art, David? <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, I've seen some of this art. It's, uh, I mean, I guess love is, you know, a term my, some people might use. But yeah, beauty is uh, in the eye of the holder, right? So the floor <laughs> price of these NFTs went, they were previously at 0.4. They are now at 0.13 because they just inflated that hell out of the supply. So That's the was problem like, with the, NFT There was 14,000 right? of them prior, and now there is going to be 47,000 more of these things. It's just The, the fact that they greedy. are still at 0.13 is insane. Impressive. <laughs> it's impressive. I don't know who's buying what? these, but uh, I think Trump will keep selling them as long as people will buy them. Yeah, I think right. I, we can like, be sure of that. If, if, if you, I, the last person I would ever put in charge of the money printer is Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he kind of was, I guess, but we had a, you know, no, 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 this is separate, yeah, no, right. Yeah. Powell, that's Powell's job. <laughs> Separation of powers here. Yeah. Releases today. One inch is being deployed on ZK sync era. So the new ZK EVM getting one inch, the DeFi exchange aggregator. Very cool. Welcome to the club. That's what they say in the message. And then this is uh, some big news, actually. Apple Card, Apple, 
now has savings accounts at 4.15% APY. Uh, I use the Apple Card. I use Apple Cash. Uh, so I guess I now have a 4.15% savings account, not as high as Ethield, um, I will note. Uh, but it's conveniently on your phone. Uh, and so uh, it's this really is cool, an honestly. interesting pivot. Yeah, I, like, it, it, it goes to show that sort of, um, you know, big banks. So this is all powered by Goldman Sachs. That is the new DeFi yield pool. I remember we were messing with these high yield pools and well, um, you know, bank accounts were giving yield of like 0.15%, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now because Fed rate is so high, interest rate is so high, a Goldman Sachs can offer this and they're distributing this 4.15% APY through Apple, which is uh, kind of interesting. But it's on that theme of, remember we are talking about the bank run? This idea of a mm-hmm. slow motion crash of like, well, a slow motion bank run of all of the yield, all of the savings and all of the money bleeds out of small, mid-sized regional banks and goes into the larger banks in search of higher yield, thus making the small regional banks insolvent. That's this, David. Mm-hmm. All right, so Apple has 50% of the US smartphone population. 45 million people are like you and they have Apple Pay on their new account. And that was 4.15%. I'm getting my money out of my you know local credit union and I'm putting it in this new yield pool. It's not going to be so good for the local credit union, is it? (laughs) Um, So, and there's another story here, which is like this idea of like all tech companies eventually become a bank. Right. And this is not Apple going as far as becoming a bank, but certainly becoming a a fintech front end and using um, Goldman Sachs as its banking layer. So interesting stuff, I think, in the world of of TradFi this week with this, uh, this announcement. I just checked my phone. I don't have access to this yet. So, ah, okay. Well, somebody I will, I will continue with my 0.01% from Wells Fargo. Thank you. Uh, the permissionless conference, David, what is this announcement? Pa- not permissionless 2023, permissionless two. So here is the uh, teaser reel from permissionless. It's 45 seconds. Here we go. 2022 was a meme. <laughs> The collapse of FTX has sent shockwaves across the cryptocurrency industry. Skeptics danced. Believers believed. Bitcoin is going to zero. It's just ridiculous that anybody would buy this stuff. Not for me! Not for me! The tide is shifting, and it's time to rebuild. How do you like the, the vaporwave vibe? I love that. 90s vaporwave. Yeah, this is great. So what is this, mm-hmm. David? What is this conference about? Uh, this is Permissionless number two. If you didn't go to Permissionless one, it was held in West Palm Beach, Florida. This is going to be held in Austin, Texas. It'll be my first time in Texas. Uh, and this is going to be uh, the, the second Permissionless. Uh, the first Permissionless, I will say, it was like the unique point about Permissionless is if it was a ton of crypto natives, like bankless listeners, like bankless, the bankless nation showed up absolutely in force. Bankless Dow was there. Like all the people that we've had on the podcast were there. And so it was like a bunch of crypto natives in this like very well manicured and orchestrated venue managed, but like just seamlessly operated by, by the Blockworks team. Uh, and so that unique, there was that unique vibe. It was just like a ton of crypto natives, which are usually associated with like coordination failures and indiness and just like clunkiness 
But instead of that part, it was like this super smooth and operated uh, 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 conference because the Blockworks team are absolute jazz at this. Uh, so Permissionless 2 in Austin, Texas is going to be about 10 to 20% bigger than last year, even though we are twice as more into the bear market than we were at the last time. Um, and I'm pretty stoked. So I'll see you yes. all in September in Austin. Uh, this is the only conference I go to every yes. year. This is the, the only this, time I ever see Ryan. <laughs> this is um, this is the one to go to if you have to pick one. And by the way, Bankless citizens get a thirty percent discount on the oh, yeah. tickets, which uh, more than pays for itself. Uh, I think if you are a, if you are a Bankless citizen and you pay for Bankless, the ticket discount that you get pays for your Bankless citizenship automatically. There you go, instant ROI. David, what do we have coming up next? Coming up next, we got questions from the nation, two hot questions, and also two takes of the week, and also two people on this podcast tell you what they're bullish on. So we're going to get to all of that and more as soon as we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. We're back with some questions from the Bankless Nation. This one from Canis. Does Bitcoin really have to be sustainable? Is the question. What if Bitcoin becomes the store of value like gold and the big players have the incentive to keep it secure? Just like gold owners, the rich, government, banks, etc., were building fortresses, safes, paying guards, etc., maybe this is the case for Bitcoiners as well. They preserve their wealth by keeping their network secure by buying mining rings and spending power at their own cost because this is their main store of value. I think mm -hmm. the question is, David, does Bitcoin actually need to have a sustainable monetary policy? What do you think? Yeah, so we're actually conflating a, a few things here, uh, and I can see I can see how that confusion set in, but it, it's really important to parse out some of this stuff. Um, first, where does Bitcoin or where does gold get security from? It's not from like the guns and the armies that protect the gold. This is kind of nuanced, but it's really important. Gold actually gets its security from atoms, from like energy. Like gold was made in the explosion of stars, and so gold does not fall apart because it's extremely atomically stable. And also it does not fall apart monetarily because the amount of energy it takes to create gold molecules is insane. Like it's, it's costs you more of energy costs to produce gold atoms than it does to, uh, than, than you would be able to net out of the result of that yield of gold. Yeah. So I mean, that's this where is why economic security comes from. That's why gold is valuable. This is why alchemy has never worked, right? Like right? You can't turn straw into gold. You can't turn anything into gold. Mm -hmm. It's another way to say that, David, is like gold already paid its proof of work energy cost right. in, the in the form of, of a supernova. Yeah, right. until until <laughs> we can uh, blow up stars, we have that sort of energy um, possibility. Mm -hmm. We actually can't create gold right. in a cost-effective way. But go okay. on. And then there's the incentive to protect your gold, right? Like the guns, the, the, you know, the fortresses, all of that stuff. And that mm. would be like your cost of buying a ledger or the mm -hmm. cost of like storing a seed phrase somewhere, which by the way, cryptography makes extremely cheap and accessible to all. And so these are actually different things. The, yep. Where it breaks down with Bitcoin is that the reason why this doesn't work with Bitcoin, why Bitcoin's not sustainable is because proof of work in the Bitcoin blockchain you as a gold holder, you don't actually care about protecting other people's gold. So there is a tragedy of the commons problem here where like you as a gold holder, you want other people to pay for security to protect your gold, but you don't want to pay for the protection of other people's gold. And so that is a transaction cost, right? The P it's the transactors that are paying the transaction fees in Bitcoin that pay for the security of everyone else. But in the gold model, like the, I need to keep my gold safe, uh, you pay for the custody and care of your own gold. But in the Bitcoin model, you are just 
hoping that other people pay for your security, not you. And so that's where it falls apart. Yeah, I, I think uh, sometimes the, the strong Bitcoin statement misses this hidden, mm-hmm. um, I, I guess, hidden virtue about gold. And that is mm-hmm. gold has already paid its security budget. Mm-hmm. Nature has paid it in the supernova of a star, whereas right. Bitcoin has to pay its security budget every single block. Every single okay? year if on you, an ongoing basis for now until yeah. forever. If you want that unforgeable costliness, which is baked right. into gold at the periodic table level on Bitcoin, you actually have to issue more Bitcoin to pay for it or mm-hmm. make up for it in transaction fees. Mm-hmm. And the problem is if everyone's holding their Bitcoin and the transaction fees are low, and by the way, this is kind of timely. Did you see, David, Arbitrum Layer 2 transaction fees, mm-hmm. revenue? actually um past bitcoins past bitcoins <laughs> transaction fee revenue past basically it's it's you know the more sustainable part of its way of paying for for security um mm-hmm. anyway that that aside bitcoin has to keep paying this over and over and over and the only way it can pay for it is issuing new bitcoin which is going to run out it's going to go to mm-hmm. zero in time or transaction fees you know that that's why this won't work. That's why we have said for a very long time before I think this was more mi- widely known, and I think many maximalists still don't accept this, mm-hmm. that Bitcoin has a major security budget problem in the future. The only way for Bitcoin to solve this is really to like, I mean, it can migrate to proof of stake. It, like we've talked about this. Uh, it, can just, I think this it can do a lot yeah. of things that are very untenable to the core Bitcoin community. Exactly. So it's going to be a problem at some point, and it's just a matter of how long they can kick the can down the road. And mm-hmm. I think they will. They'll have another like good five. They got years, like yeah. Years. They got no five years. I would say they got like four to five more happenings. So they got like probably, 20, 20 but it's years. just before transactions start getting reversed. But it's already becoming embarrassing because we can right. see now a layer right. two has outstripped it. it. Yeah. Like Arbitrum is more secure than Bitcoin. How is that? Like, how is that possible from an economic yeah. security perspective? Yeah. Um, Bitcoiners question. will say that was an overly, like, reductive way, like, Arbitrum versus Bitcoin. And there's, like, you could debate this. I'd be happy to debate it. any of them on that. Like, yeah. it's just... <laughs> uh, See, this, okay. is, this, is, this is what a lot of Bankless, I think, modern listeners don't realize, is that POV Crypto, my, my, my first podcast before Bankless... But yeah. Hey, most bankless listeners don't realize I had that podcast and it was me <laughs> and a Bitcoiner yelling at each other. It's my like really good friend from college. Like we've had all of these conversations. What, what's ad nauseum? Ad nauseum. Ad nauseum. Oh over my God. And over. Like over For and years. over and over again. Yeah. And this is why we like have moved on from it as like a community. Cause it's like, we've done this before. <laughs> we have. You can, the archive is full of it. Uh, let's get to takes of the week. So takes of the week. Here we go. Here's a take from Blake West. It's pretty frustrating to hear people mock crypto. Like, it's been 10 years and it's still just speculation. Where's the value? When in reality, it's basically illegal to use crypto for meaningful stuff. I want to yell at regulators, let us try. And he goes through these examples. Are these examples worth reading, David? There's a yeah, lot of they, examples they, here. There's only, no, there's only six examples. It's definitely worth reading. Okay. Instant stock trade settlements plus eliminating clearinghouse fees, except it's illegal to list securities natively on chain. That's one. Hmm. Uh, Two, liquid transparent exchanges that perfectly comply with regulations for alternative assets like loans, real estate, etc. with low or no fees, except creating exchanges of any kind is highly regulated in the United States and crypto exchanges can't register anywhere. See Coinbase versus SEC. Three, we could eliminate the possibility of exchange taking users' funds if we ran them non-custodially, but again, it's effectively illegal to run an exchange on-chain non-custodial with actual bonds and stocks. 
Next, we could have had instant 24-7 transactions among banks years ago instead of the two to five days with ACH, except it's illegal for banks to hold crypto or put deposits on chain. Next, we could use stable coins to make payments directly to merchants with no card fees, bank fees, or chargebacks. But remember, DM? Yep, de declared illegal. Also, transacting in crypto, even a stablecoin is taxable event, making it operationally prohibitive. Last, regulatory reporting burden for funds and exchanges would be much cheaper if they were on chain because it's automated and public and regulators wouldn't have to subpoena records except there's no clear path for funds and exchanges to run on chain really less clear and concise use cases yep. that would glow up the tradfi world in a zero to one moment for all of these things and they're but all they're illegal, illegal. Wow. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I do think the worst, uh, the, the big user experience problem for crypto is actually government. Like <laughs> one of the, one of the worst, uh, <laughs> like one of the biggest hassle things I have to do in crypto. I know I talk about it all the time. So it's become a meme it's is taxes. taxes. It's yeah. freaking taxes. Every time you do anything, you, you pay some gas. Well, it's capital gains on that gas, like mm -hmm. from, from ETH purchase. So you have to track that somewhere. Like, you, you make one transaction on Ethereum and you set off like a Rube Goldberg machine of compliance yes. that like 17 yes. people have to touch. <laughs> totally. And it doesn't have to be this way. Um, anyway, great take from Blake West. Uh, what's this one from Ben DeFrancisco? So Ben DeFrancisco is retweeting a tweet of uh, somebody saying, uh, making fun of the line, the United States dollar is backed by nothing. So, you know, the United States dollar is backed by nothing. And then the nothing. And we are watching a clip of like, uh, naval armada plus fighter jets flying overhead. And like, it's the claims like, no, the, if you violate the dollar, we're going to send this like massive army after you. So yes, this is what we say on Bankless quite a lot. Uh, the United States is backed by the military. And so Ben's take, getting to Ben's take is like, even if this is correct, it's pretty grim, morally speaking, because what are these things? What is the dollar backed by? Bombs violence. and guns and violence and oppression. Hmm. Hmm. Thanks, Gary. Think Thanks, Gary. I think that's I think that's an element of it. It's also, I would say, you know, economic competition is a big piece yeah. of this that might right. be missing. But yeah, it is somewhat disturbing when you kind of like peel back all of the settlement layers for humanity and right. even like civilization, and you find at the, the bottom settlement layer is can I bash my head? Like, can I bash this club on your head and take what you right. have? It's right. like violence as the final settlement layer. Mm -hmm. And that's just what nation states have mechanized. And mm -hmm. we call them militaries and we call it defense. I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying it's a thing. Yeah. And um, I mean, that, that there's an element of truth to this. And yeah, there's, I think Ben is also right. It is pretty grim. Morally speaking, I don't know what to yeah. do about that, though. Yeah, it reminds me of that quote from Dalio is like, above the nation state is the rule of the jungle. Below yeah. the nation state order, you know, you stop at stop signs, you pay your taxes, you know, you don't steal. Above the nation state, you club people on heads. <laughs> yeah, and you just have to have the bigger club. Mm -hmm. um, David, what are you bullish on this week? Uh, something completely different. Like I've said at, at Montenegro, uh, there's this huge longevity and wellness um, cohort of people. And it's been like waking up this very dormant part of my brain, which is like the wellness part. And so like every, every morning, 7 a.m., go on a run, 8 a.m., cold plunge with like 20 other people who are like cold plunging in the Adriatic Sea. Like wow. then I go to the gym and do some weightlifting. And then I go eat like the most insanely large breakfast that you'll ever see. 
and it's just like waking up this like lifestyle that I had pre-crypto. And I'm sad to say, actually, that like I uh, kind of like jettisoned it in the getting into crypto, but I'm getting it back. And I've been very thankful. And this is kind of what this whole like Zuzalu experiment has been able to do for many people, not just me, um, is to see what your life could be like if you can figure out how to prioritize everything and have just maximum serendipity and be able to focus on what you want to focus on. And so I, Ryan, am, and also I'm producing content on longevity. If you want to learn more about longevity and the intersection of crypto and longevity and, and like design all this stuff. So Ryan, I am bullish on longevity and crypto people going down that rabbit hole. So that's what I'm bullish on. See, the, the, the foodless podcast was not an April Fool's da- joke. That's actually something <laughs> David is pursuing. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Uh, that's cool, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a lot of great topics. And I, I do think it's important. I think crypto people can get too plugged into the digital, too plugged into the metaverse. And we've called it before like crypto brain or Ethereum yeah. brain. Yeah. And um, you're getting a taste of like grass and real life yeah. and health and things that are important, you know, away from screens. It's important stuff. I feel like I need more of that in my life. Yes. Uh, so Ryan, speaking of the person who's back home, <laughs> what are yes. you both on? <laughs> well, okay. So, um, Every week we ask this question and we're always bullish Mm -hmm. on something. We can always find something to be bullish on. And this is a a very, I would say our tone at Bankless is super optimistic and it always has been. Even in the darkest of times, yeah. Yeah. And uh, don't get me wrong. I'm very bullish on crypto right now. Like I'm just, this technology is beyond where I ever thought it would be. And like the impacts it's had and, and like its success in the future is, you know, all but certain, all but guaranteed to me. Like it's it's tremendous. I'm so glad uh, we're in this industry. Um, but I'm finding like this week in particular, I don't know, it's hard for me to be bullish on the rest of things, like outside of crypto, David. So like maybe this is part of the uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky existential crisis where I sort of like, you know, you dip in and out of these things. But, like some week it, weeks it's hard for me to be bullish on things. Like I've been listening to you a bit more of um, Nick uh, Bolstrom, an old episode mm-hmm. on Sam Harris. You, you ever hear his analogy of the urn? Like yeah, humanity is pulling marbles. Um, marbles, balls out of an urn. Like every time it plucks a new technology up and like, oh, we just we just figured out the wheel. We just figured out, you know, mm-hmm. the industrial revolution and like, oh, uh, you know, atomic bombs. Most technologies are like white, right? In right. that like they, they don't have the capacity to destroy humanity and aren't right. widely distributed. But every once in a while, we pull out something that is like a black ball. And we don't know what we're going to pull out because we're just so focused on mm-hmm. getting as many things out as possible, right? right? And so we already have this with nuclear proliferation. Thank God people can't build nukes. And like, as Nick Bostrom says, by baking sand in a microwave, by putting sand in a microwave, right? It's not... It takes a lot. It takes nation state level ability to to do a nuke. And even that, David, we've got the US, we've got Russia. I was just reading this morning that that China is set to quadruple its nuclear arsenal by uh 2035. Right? Tight. That's great. New like China's always been there, but like another new power, and they all have like guns at each other's heads. And then we've been talking so much about AI alignment and not just Elie or Yudkowsky, but, you know, people like, I think Bankless listeners will hear on Monday, Paul Cristiano, who are like very reason working in AI safety, trying to make sure AI doesn't kill us. And yet he gives our odds like, I mean, 
maybe 50-50, kind of a, a dice roll on whether we get this thing right or not. And there's a very real chance that we get it wrong. And it goes back to the Eliezer Yudkowsky thing. And then we've got like the meta crisis. And you know, the big enemy of Ethereum and, and crypto is we've, and the big enemy of Bankless is really like these Moloch traps. Uh, you were talking about coordination earlier. It's like when we get in this discoordinated mode, when we have these game theoretical failures where we get in arms races and um, we're all doing the thing that we don't want to do, but we have to because we're just on this 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 Moloch trap, this treadmill that kind of makes us all invest in nuclear weapons, for example. Nobody can stop. Um, that's like, man, how do these are very thorny problems to solve, and they keep getting more and more thorny as we get increased power and higher technology. So I'm just like, I don't know, maybe I'm just in a mood, but I'm just like, I kind of like this whole humanity thing. Like I kind of, there's people in my life that I like, I love very much. It's good here. Like this, this whole modern life, but we are living in this, man, modern life is so great in so many ways. And yet we have this sort of Damocles over our heads. Like right. a madman can just end it, end it all completely with like not very much effort. And that could happen at any time. And it's just a bizarre existence. So I think, again, I go in these like fits and starts with this where sometimes I'll be thinking about this and then I'll just be, well, whatever, I'll get busy. So this is, I'm, I'm like, I'm almost like, okay, well, what do I do about this? So I know this information, but I've known this kind of information more generally before. So what do you do? You like distract yourself? You like just plug into work and not think about it? Um, do you like, do you, are you aware of it in the background, but you just treasure the moments that you have? Is that the strategy for, for coping mm -hmm. with this? Do you just like, I, you know, I think we we're doing this on a debrief one time, just laugh at the absurdity. Like, it is so freaking ridiculous that we have to live like this, right? And yet mm -hmm. that is the fact. So what do you do? Just do the throw up your hands and just laugh about it? Exactly. So, but at the end of the day, all of these are coping mechanisms. I'm just like, why can't we just solve this? Wouldn't it be great if... And so I'm bullish on crypto, but it's everything else that I'm feeling not bullish about this week. Right. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, I'm just, I guess I'm in a mood, but yeah. um, I couldn't find a thing where I was like, hey, I am so excited about this because that's what I've been thinking about. I feel you. Um, it's, it's what, there's one line you said at the, uh, when we were talking about, uh, I think maybe it's at the end of the uh, Paul Cristiano episode. Or maybe it was, I can't remember when it was something about like, Hey, why, why is bank, why are we doing AI content? And you were, you, we joke, jokingly, absurdly said like, well, we need to solve the AI alignment thing so that so crypto goes so up. Crypto, <laughs> so crypto goes up. So crypto goes yeah. up. And cause like if AIs come, then we, we just hand over our, exactly. our blockchain technology to them and they take it from us. And so mm. like, it's one of these things where like you and I are just like these intrinsically curious people who find important things that we think that we are really important to, uh, to talk about and at very least educate and, and broadcast. And so like the only thing I have to tell you, dude, is like all we've got is this podcast and this newsletter and this company. And if it's, if this is concerning to you, humans derive purpose from solving problems. And I think we actually did a, 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 we've solved a lot of the problems that we set out at Bankless to solve. Uh, there's still a lot more work that crypto has to do, but it feels like it would get there anyways at this point in time. And it didn't, crypto didn't feel like that uh, when we first started Bankless. 
there's another problem out there, which you're labeling like uh, AI alignment, uh, the democratization of destructive technologies mm -hmm. uh, that we is a new problem. And mm -hmm. I don't think you and I, neither of us signed up to solve that problem when we started Bankless. But it's intellectually stimulating. Um, it pays the bills. It's fun to talk about. And so I suggest that we put one foot in front of another and make podcasts about it. <laughs> <laughs> While there's time left, we just make While podcasts time about left, it. I mean, yeah. look, uh -huh. I guess what you're saying is what more can we do, right? That's yeah. the thing. We just got our little slice. And I think that's for maybe, I don't know if, look, I don't know if that was helpful, Bankless listener, or if it brought you down. I didn't mean to bring you guys down. I didn't mean to, you know, kill the mood here. But like, I guess what I would say is what I was just hearing from you, David, is, all you can do is your part. You're yep. one small part to like mm -hmm. making the world a better place, solving some of these problems, being there, you know, for, for the people you love in your life. That's the small part you could take. And I think where I fall into a trap is when I think about all of the problems that need to be solved all at once. Right. And then I get overwhelmed mm. and that's a, that's kind of a failure mode for me personally. But when I, right. when I bring it down to like kind of the daily, okay, what are you going to do about this today? What are you going to do about all this stuff tomorrow? That's where I start to get out of that uh, that failing road cycle. There you go. Hey, Bankless and Therapy. Thank you, David, for that little session. Let's talk about the meme of the week. This, this is, is a good fantastic. One. <laughs> what are we looking at right here? This is uh, the first just mic drop meme from our new designer, uh, Crypto Wars Bankless Edition. So uh, if you, you must be watching the YouTube for this to make sense. Uh, but this is, what is this? An Empire Strikes Back movie poster rendition, but now it's done so instead good. with, uh, it's so good. Elizabeth Warren is Darth Vader. Uh, Gary Gensler is the Sith Lord. Uh, <laughs> is, is that, who's Vitalik? That's Vitalik up the top left. He's like, I think he's the Yoda character chair right here. He's Yo Yoda? Okay. Yeah. We got Brian Armstrong as Han Solo. We got me, me and Ryan as uh, Obi-Wan. And who are we? You actually? got to be Qui-Gon. You got to be Qui-Gon because you have the beard, I think. Even though he, I, he dies. And he's also oh, the bummer. master and I'm the apprentice, but at least I get to live. So that's great. Oh, and I don't know who this is. It's like a job. I don't of the know hut. who that is. I don't it know whose face that is, actually. I don't know either. It's great. I, I and then there's this random bird up here. I don't know what that's about. That's Twitter. I just love that I don't know who all of these characters actually are. Yeah, anyway. I think you might be the more Star Wars fan than I am, but uh, I'm, <laughs> you're still stumped. Anyway, so yeah, this is an open mint. This is coming. This is ending in 19 hours from the time of recording, which means it's probably already ended. But it's being priced at 0.0042 ETH, uh, and so the secondary market. If you desire this new NFT, this is an NFT. Uh, if you desire this, the, I'm sure the price is with extremely reasonable or you can just yeah. enjoy it as the meme it's just right click save if you just want to enjoy yeah. it without put it, collecting put it as your phone wallpaper that's fine <laughs> yeah, that's free <laughs> all right awesome uh david we got a hot moment of zen it is on theme for this episode okay yes, it's so good thank you jonathan man we appreciate it song a day man wrote a great song today <laughs> here it is is eth a security we'll get to that but first gotta let you know risks and disclaimers of course crypto is risky you could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Chairman Gensler, is ETH a security? Uh, is ETH a security? Um, is ETH a security? Um, uh, uh, under the laws, if you're... Uh, is ETH a security? Um, is ETH a security? Um, is ETH a security? It's not a matter of lack of clarity. 
Ethereum started with a pre-sale. Whether that was really a securities offering in 2014, I said I think so. 2018, the Securities and Exchange said, regardless of what it might have been in 14, it's now sufficiently decentralized. Consider it not a security. Not a security. Not a not a not a not a not a security. Is ETH a security? So is ETH a security? Under the laws, if you're...